Welcome to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions. The Move to Value podcast is dedicated to helping healthcare providers understand and make the transition into value-based care. We do this through conversations and the sharing of innovative ideas with experts and leaders throughout the healthcare industry. Our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team by cultivating a value-oriented, compassionate, and health-aligned community. In this episode, we talk about population behavioral health with Dr. Nishi Rawat, founder of OpenBeds, a behavioral health treatment availability platform, who now serves as chief clinical officer at Bamboo Health. Dr. Rawat, welcome to the Move to Value podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Thomas. Can you give us an overview about the current state of behavioral health in rural communities? Sure. Um, I, you know, I think that it's important, first off, to know that the rural United States uh, consists of 97% of the land area um, and is home to about 20% of the population, with 50% of the population living in the South. Um, when it comes to mental health conditions, rural versus urban areas, the prevalence of mental health conditions is the same um, overall, but the nature of the conditions as well as the driving factors are very different. In rural areas, we see higher rates of suicide and depression uh, with the rate of suicides unfortunately increasing over time. And the unique driving factors include economic ones like intergenerational poverty and higher rates of unemployment, um, social ones like isolation, loneliness, and more stigma associated with uh, such conditions. And finally, environmental factors like like climate change and, and natural disasters, which aren't exactly top of mind for, for those of us that, that live in um, urban areas. When it comes to barriers to optimal behavioral health, can you tell me what differences exist between rural and urban communities? Yeah, again, the the prevalence of um, mental health and substance use disorder conditions is relatively similar, but uh, again, the nature and the driving factors are different. In terms of access to care, especially access to affordable care, that remains, uh, it's, a, it's a significant issue in both urban and rural areas, uh, but it's particularly problematic, if that's even possible, <laughs> in, in rural areas. Um, 75% of U.S. counties are known as mental health practice shortage areas. That means that they don't have enough psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, counselors, school counselors. And that shortage is correlated to to two main factors. Number one, rurality, and number two, per capita income. So the, the lower the per capita income, the higher the likelihood of having a shortage of mental health practitioners. Now, with respect to differences in affordability, we know that affordability is the single most important factor correlated to using care. Increased cost sharing is associated with not seeking out the necessary behavioral health treatment um, that you need. Um, and, And the higher cost of services can result in a lower likelihood of going out and and accessing behavioral health services. 
So rural residents are actually, they're, they're more likely to be uninsured and underinsured, as you know. They're also more likely to receive Medicaid than urban residents. Now, Medicaid is a good thing because that's actually correlated with um, an easier time accessing behavioral health care. But the problem is that two-thirds of the rural uninsured population live in states that did not expand Medicaid. And then finally, those who are covered by, by private insurance, or among those who are covered by private insurance, rural residents are far more likely than, than urban residents to, to have a, a high deductible health plan. So a couple of whammies there for, for rural residents generally when it comes to affordable access to care, or access to affordable care, rather. <laughs> Do you see any perceived stigma of having a behavioral health issue factoring into patients not utilizing resources that are available to them? Um, are these folks afraid of being seen as broken? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the, again, important drivers or, or differences between urban and, and rural populations. It's, again, the the stigma associated with um, mental health and substance use disorder conditions generally, just as, as you've described. Um, in addition to that, that stigma plays out because you're, you're not anonymous <laughs> in a rural community, right? There may or may not be a, a practitioner, but there may be someone that, that people see and um, you'll be seen, and there's fear associated with being seen seeking help. Uh, so that that's a significant barrier, absolutely. The, the good news is that with the pandemic, care delivery systems that were at the periphery, like telehealth, they're now mainstream. And actually during the pandemic, uh, 50% of telehealth use was for behavioral health conditions. And, and people continue to seek behavioral health care in uh, a, a telehealth way, whereas for, for medical care, a lot of people have gone back to brick-and-mortar services. But where I'm going with this is that for rural communities, in particular rural populations, this is a mechanism. Getting care via the telehealth medium is a mechanism by which to bypass the stigma. Outstanding. Dr. Rawat, will you share with us some of the findings from your work around substance use disorder? Absolutely. Um, so at, at, at Bamboo Health, we work with 15 states and counting uh, to improve access to both mental health and substance use disorder care. What we do is we work with state governments to establish a behavioral health network that's connected digitally to give those organizations who refer into mental health and substance use disorder services, to, to give them that situational awareness and the ability to connect to providers digitally to find evidence-based care for their patients. We also support state 988 and, and crisis line initiatives. I don't know if your audience, if they're familiar with 988. Uh, but what we do is we thread together the crisis care services within that crisis care continuum to ensure that callers in crisis get access to definitive behavioral health assessment and treatment. Can you share with us more information about the 988 initiative? Absolutely. Um, it's a very important initiative. 
instigated by the federal government. Again, um, it was launched in, in mid-July of this year, not with a lot of fanfare. I, I do believe that the government and states are holding off on, on marketing for a little bit to ensure that the call centers aren't overwhelmed. But uh, again, for those of you who are not familiar with 988, it's akin to 911, but for behavioral health crises. So just like if you were having a, a heart attack or perhaps your house was on fire, you'd call 911 and the appropriate um, folks, whether it's an ambulance or the, the fire people would come to your house, put out the fire or take you to an emergency department to get assessment for your, your chest pain. Now you can call 988 if you're having a mental health or substance use disorder crisis, you or a loved one. You can be patched through to a, a clinician who will do a validated assessment and then will um, get you to the right level of care. So perhaps that's connecting you to um, an outpatient assessment or treatment uh, episode if if necessary, um, if you are in need of more urgent care in some markets or regions, they can dispatch a mobile crisis team to do an on-premise assessment. And then in other regions, that mobile crisis team can, can take you to what's known as a crisis stabilization uh, facility where you can be observed, get care, and then um, transition to appropriate uh, outpatient or inpatient care. Dr. Rawat, how can we create more collaborative care between behavioral health and physical health? You know, look, um, we've been talking about this for for too long, and um, I think that there are a few organizations that are unfortunately uh, walking that talk. What we do know, or what, what I feel strongly about is that this type of integration between behavioral health and physical health, it happens at the point of care. And I, I can't stress that enough. That said, the appropriate incentives need to be in place for, for people, individuals or providers uh, for the integration to happen at the point of care. A good example of incentivized care is the Certified Community Behavioral Health Clinic model, which is currently a Medicaid demonstration project. It was initiated by the federal government, by Medicaid, back in 2016 when they selected 10 demonstration states for this project. The participating demonstration states and behavioral health providers need to provide certain core services, uh, which includes um, crisis care access to crisis care for their patients 24-7. They can't turn anyone away. Um, they need to do care coordination, collaboration across behavioral health and medical settings, and they need to have the appropriate technology in place to be able to do that kind of um, care coordination. And then finally, they're held accountable. They need to meet quality metrics associated with um, uh, uh, offering these, these core services. Do you see a role in this collaborative continuum for the community health worker and community organizations? Yeah, sure. So, look, it's important to meet people where they're at. And given that it's 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 near impossible to travel 5 hours every week, <laughs> right? Um for a a, a treatment uh, appointment we need to provide care in the community setting, out of the box places like our schools, grocery stores, um, libraries. And so I do believe that 
these community settings are particularly important important for rural populations, given the, the distances involved. Now, I know we just talked about telehealth and how that's made it easier, but not everyone has access to telehealth uh, or telebehavioral health. Um, so there's that. I, I also think that it's even more important for people to be served by people who look like them, <laughs> uh, talk like them, who have similar lived experiences. Uh, and we see that in urban communities as well as um, rural ones uh, alike. And so ensuring that the clinical population looks like those who are seeking care, that's really important. And that's something that I, I do believe is best achieved by community health workers. What can a provider do starting today to begin to address some of these issues? Sure. So you know, number one, institute screening for all your patients um, as, as recommended uh, by the federal government. Uh, so for example, um, substance use screening should be integrated into primary care community settings in the emergency department. Uh, we've known this for a very long time. And uh, there's the ESPERT program, the Screening Brief Intervention and Referral to Treatment uh, program that everyone should be aware of. Uh, we should also incorporate screening um, from a mental health perspective. Recently, the uh, U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recommended screening all adults for depression and those under the age of 65 for, for anxiety. And then they also more recently recommended that all adolescents be screened for depression and anxiety. I can't remember the exact age group, uh, but this makes a lot of sense because 50% of lifetime mental health conditions begin by the age of 14 and 75% begin by the age of 24. So people need to be screened and assessed early on in, in life. Uh, and then second, um, care is inherently local, right? We, we just talked about that. So uh, that's what makes this question so difficult to, to answer, but I would refer people to uh, the American Medical Association's website. They have a behavioral health collaborative there that has compiled a, a detailed um, behavioral health integration compendium for providers. It has very, very practical advice for providers, including a spectrum of six levels of uh, collaboration, how to go about picking a level of collaboration for your organization, assessing your organization's readiness, making the pitch to leadership, workflow design, measuring outcomes. It also includes billing codes. So there's a wealth of information there at that website and within this compend compendium. And I do believe that you can very easily tailor that to your, your local setting and community. Dr. Nishi Rawat, thank you for joining us today on the Move to Value podcast. Thank you for having me, Thomas. Thanks for listening to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions, where our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. As always, you can head over to movetovaluepodcast.com to sign up for the email list, as well as check out all the resources in the show notes. If you are interested in continuing to hear about value-based care and how it impacts you, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, we would love it if you would share the Move to Value podcast across social media and leave a rating and review. See you next time.